Thrill Me. This show is part of the Thrill Me Podcast Network. Experience more on Facebook and YouTube. Welcome, everybody, to Crypt of Horror. I am your ghoulish host this evening, Mr. Wonderful, and wanted to thank you all again for tuning into the Crypt of Horror here on Haunter's Podcast, Patreon exclusive. Thank you all so much for being a part of this uh, and excited to dive into the Crypt of Horror this week because we are still in season two of tales from the crypt now we are up to episode number 11 uh last time around we reviewed episodes 9 and 10 and this time hitting episode 11 which debuted right around this time actually if you're listening to this on the drop on saturday june 13th this episode actually debuted on june 12th so uh we are right there on the anniversary uh 1990 was the year that this episode dropped it comes from the comic source Tales from the Crypt, number 25. Uh, this episode is entitled, Judy, You're Not Yourself Today. And it's uh, pretty simple. Donald and Judy find themselves in a game of witchcraft when a mysterious old woman places a medallion around Judy's neck and takes over her body. Now, the opening Crypt Keeper segment for this is pretty good. Since the episode is going to deal with cosmetics uh, and that theme, the Crypt Keeper is cracking jokes about how he's sitting around waiting for his blood pack to harden because his cosmetologist said he was looking lifeless, uh, pulls the mask off, feels good, all that stuff, then takes us into the story about how a couple who take their appearance very seriously and introduces us to the title, Judy, You're Not Yourself Today, uh, and diving into this episode, really three stars of this episode, Francis Bay, plays the witch and you know Frances Bay because she is the grandma from Happy Gilmore. She's who Happy is trying to get the house for and get out of the nursing home that Ben Stiller is making her make wallets in. Uh, so that's Frances Bay. Carol Kane stars in this episode as well as Judy. I, I Do I really need to break down Carol Kane, Annie Hall, Princess Bride, Adam's Family Values, Scrooged. Uh, Brian Kerwin plays Donald. You know him a little more as character actor. 27 Dresses he was in, Jack as well. Uh, all of the, those two obviously post Tales from the Crypt, but before that a lot of character actor stuff in TV, uh, small film parts and stuff like that. But either way, Judy, uh, middle-class housewife, regularly gets stressed out by her gun-toting husband Donald's reckless behavior, and it's very set up early on in the episode that he's really reckless because he's just sitting there playing with his guns and even as somebody that doesn't know much uh isn't a big gun guy but i know about gun safety he's not really following the gun safety protocols of pointing it up in the air and to the ground and keeping your finger off the trigger and stuff like that but then again i can break that down in a lot of hollywood stuff they're just not very good with actually showing you gun safety stuff but digress uh you see but it's established he's very much one of those woo look at my guns baby uh, and she's not so much into it but does love him and they have a great relationship uh but it's also established when somebody comes knocking on the door and it's one of those little like mormons that's like let me tell you about my god and she's like oh hey i want to talk to you because judy's very welcoming to the people that uh come to the door the the mormon religion folk the door-to-door sales folk while Donald, not so much. And Donald shows up at the door, 
pointing that gun again, like I said, the, the no gun safety thing, pretty much pointing the gun in the guy's face, uh, just kind of belittling him and scaring him with the gun. He runs off. Judy's a little stressed out about it, but he 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 just says to Judy, listen, you can't trust all these people. These people are trying to take advantage of you. That's all they are. Yada, yada, yada. Don't let people in the house when I'm gone. Eventually, Donald leaves to go on a little trip because she's like, you got to go. Or don't you have that 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 hunting trip you're going on? And he's like, oh, yeah, let me pack up my big guns and go. So he packs up his big guns. He takes off. And while he's gone, that's when there's a knock on the door. And it's a saleswoman coming by the couple's home trying to sell some cosmetics. And here's the thing. Because of Donald's antics, you could see Judy starting to kind of, while they're a young couple, she's starting to show signs and marks on her features of the stress of this relationship. And that's when Judy welcomes this old woman in. But in reality, the saleswoman is a witch and gets her to put this mystical amulet this this beautiful necklace around her neck and while she does that switches bodies with judy so now francis bay's witch is now in carol kane's body and that's when donald comes home and sees this old francis bay sitting there and is like but i'm your husband donald Uh, donald you're my husband i'm your wife i'm judy this and that he doesn't believe her Uh, And then she starts throwing out a bunch of things like we were married here. We did this. We've done that and this and that. And he's like, "Okay, sure. Where did we spend our honeymoon? And she's like, we didn't have a honeymoon because of this. So we ended up just staying here. And our real honeymoon was this Uh, really kind of making Donald at that point realize, "Okay, either something's amiss here and this is Judy and something really weird happened in the hours I was gone to go hunting or this is just an imposter and Judy's out somewhere else and fed this person all these lines and and they've studied us. Either way, while this is going on, Donald gets a call from an old friend who's like, hey, I just saw your wife, Judy. She's at the train station. I said hi to her and she just told me to piss off. Something wrong. What's going on with your wife? And at that point, Donald's like, okay, fake Judy. Let's go see real Judy, Carol Kane at the train station. And he's like, go get your jacket out of the closet. And she's like, oh, my goodness, do you think this will? And as she's looking at the jackets, he shuts the closet on her, locks her in there and takes off for the train station where he then comes across Carol Kane, who he thinks is Judy, but it's really his wife or really, really not his wife. It's the witch. And he proceeds to kind of be like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You know, the cancer, you're not going to live long without the cancer, this and that and yada, yada, yada. And. That's a line that I thought was a little out of nowhere where it was like, well, you know, you're cancer and it's said, but it was never hinted at prior to that. And I'm just going to tell you now, it's never mentioned again. But at that point, so I'm guessing at this point, Donald knows that something's wrong and his wife is locked up back in the place that that was really his wife in the old woman's body. And this isn't his wife in his actual wife's body right here. So either way, by making that statement, the witch in Carol Kane's body decides, "Uh uh-oh, I'm still wearing the amulet around my neck. She's still got it around hers back there. I'm going to switch back into that body of my normal Francis Bay body, give Judy back to Carol Kane. And that's when, you know, she comes through and she's like, oh, Donald, what's what happened? There's this witch and yada, yada, yada. And he's like, I know we need to go home because I locked her in the closet. 
So they head home, uh, and he's got the gun and everything, and he's all ready to shoot. And he's like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot. And he just starts firing as Francis Page, which is trying to break through the closet door after they get home. And he ends up killing her and shooting her and killing her. And Judy's a little kind of like turned on by it. She's all like, oh, my goodness. And like, now she's acting a little weird because she's like, you know, I, I really like, but weird in the sense of like, oh, the gun thing doesn't really scare me anymore. That was kind of hot that you protected me. Uh no lovemaking, though, after that. Just she gets very romantic with him. And either way, they end up burying the witch in their cellar for whatever reason. Not outside, but they bury the witch in the basement uh, because we've learned that that's a great thing to do. Evil dead. Anybody? Anybody? Uh, but they bury the witch in the basement and they put the amulet into a lockbox. And they're, and they're like, we need to keep this in here and never open it. Well, eventually, while they're sleeping... Uh, you see Judy has some nightmares, wakes up, but is very focused in on that on that lockbox where they have the amulet. And she gets out of bed and goes to kind of do something. And you don't see what she does, but one could assume, since she was obsessed with the amulet, she did something with it. Uh, but Donald wakes up because Donald's been having dreams. And he's like, I'm having dreams about that damn witch. We got We got to get that witch out of the basement, this and that. And she's like... Yeah, you're right. I think we do. Where are you going? And he gets up and he's like, she's like, are you getting up to move the witch now? No, I'm not doing that now. We'll do it. We'll do that later. And that's when he leaves. And then you see the witch is now no longer buried and is now making a move towards Donald, who's in his living room in the middle of the night. And she's like, and the witch is like, it's me, Judy. She did it again. She switched us out again. Yada, yada, yada. Ah, this and that. I'm Judy. And that's when you see Carol King coming down the stairs and she's like, that, no, that's not Judy. I'm your wife, Judy. That's the witch shooter, this and that. And they get into like the whole little, no, it's her. No, it's her. No, it's her. No, it's her. The, the, the typical back and forth of it's not me. It's them. Yada, yada, yada. So how is Donald going to figure it out? He looks at Carol Kane, his wife, and he's like, okay, go get the car. And he says, I forgot what the specific car was. He said, but he says a specific car, style, go get this, uh, just for the hell of it, I'm going to say, go get the Lamborghini. I don't think it was a Lamborghini. It might have been like a Chevy or something like that, like a really nice sports car, though. Uh, and she's like, okay, honey, and he puts the keys down, and Carol Kane grabs the keys, and he's like, oh, Judy, we don't have that car. And that's when Francis Bay is all like, oh, he realizes I'm actually Judy, still in stuck in this witch's body that he had originally shot and was buried in the basement. And the witch is actually in my body. Yay. And he walks over and he grabs her and he's still got the gun in his hand there, Donald. And he grabs Carol Kane. And that's when Francis Bay, Judy is like, I know this is a very confusing one because it deals with changing bodies and all of that. But that's when Francis Bay, AKA Judy at this point is like, Hey, remember I bruise easy. And he's like, huh? And that's when Carol Kane, AKA the witch at this point then proceeds to try and grab the gun from him and they do the whole back and forth thing of the struggle of who's going to get it, who's going to get it, and gunshot goes off. And that's when Carol Kane, the witch, falls to the ground and is bleeding out and is dying. But mind you, they're both still wearing the amulet. So, of course, that's when the witch inside Carol Kane's body is like, okay, I'm going to give you that wish you wanted 
for us to switch back when you first grab me. Because that's what he does. When he grabs her, he's like, I want you to give, I want you guys to switch back. And at that point, she's like, okay, I'll give you what you want and switch back. And the amulet starts getting all green and stuff. And he's, Donald realizes, oh crap, she's switching back as she's dying. She's going to get away. This person, my actual wife that I love is going to die. And that's what inevitably happens. They switch back and now Judy is Judy. The witch is the witch. And the witch takes off because, you know, of course. Uh, and Carol Kane as Judy is sitting there and dying right in her the arms of her husband, Donald. And that's pretty much where the episode ends. It ends with her dying. Uh, and that's the thing. This this episode is kind of boring. I'm going to say it. It was not uh, one of my favorites. The acting of it as much as... Uh, as much as Francis Bay and Carol Kane are great, the acting in the episode just felt very over the top, even for Tales from the Crypt. Uh, it just felt very slapped together. Didn't seem like it was really just very basic, very easy episode. Nothing truly memorable about it. Uh, some of the cool effects when they bury the witch and the witch comes back, stuff like that. Some cool makeup effects and monster effects but nothing really memorable about this episode unfortunately besides the fact that it has a good cast but even the cast is a bit of a downer just because of the overacting that goes into the episode but uh, we then cut back to the closing segment which is pretty good it's the crypt keeper cracking some jokes about how uh diamonds are a girl's best friend you know diamonds haha uh that the witch joined the peace corpse Donald was just trying to give his marriage a shot in the arm. Uh, and that's where I, I kind of started laughing because he's like, just tried to give him a shot in the arm because Crypt Keeper's holding a gun the whole time and start, and then fires off the gun. And then he's like, and in the leg and fires the gun again. And in the head and fires the gun again while doing his... <laughs> and then he wishes us a pleasant screams as he's placing the gun to his head. And while the camera fades away into black, you hear the gunshot, uh, assuming that the Crypt Keeper has quote-unquote committed suicide but he can't because he's dead and that's kind of a running theme with the episodes anyway he ends up killing himself a lot of the times at the end of the show uh but just to be back next week and uh we'll see that in just a second when we get into the next episode but again this episode kind of weak uh might be the weakest one so far which is you know, and again, this I'm I'm happy this is a bad episode because it shows you that I'm not just one of these people going into this show and reviewing this show like every episode and this was the greatest thing ever. No, uh, the show overall, I think Tales from the Crypt is a series overall. And when we eventually finished the show, Tales from the Crypt in this in this Crypt of Horror podcast through Patreon here, uh, we'll overall look back on it. But I'll say right now, overall, I think the show is good. This happens to be one of the weaker episodes of the show uh, so far as a whole. So far on season two, definitely the weakest episode. Uh, but that closing segment, uh, again, not too bad uh, and unfortunate because you had a good cast there with Carol Kane and Francis Bay and Brian Kerwin. Just uh, something about the episode missed and felt very boring throughout the 30-minute run. And that's, you don't have a lot of time in a TV show. And if if you're boring me through... 25 to 30 minutes, that's that's not good. A uh, little trivia, though, for this episode. It was based on H.P. Lovecraft's The Thing on the Doorstep. That's pretty much all the trivia I got about this episode. But again, that was 
Uh, Judy, you're not yourself today. Now, moving on to the uh, next episode, I really, really enjoyed this one. And this one, I'll just come out and give you the trivia right away because it's very unique uh, because it is the only, only episode in the Tales from the Crypt series to feature an all-African-American cast. Uh, Now, this episode debuted, episode 12, that is, in season two, debuted on June 19th, 1990. So, again, as you're listening to this, uh, both of these episodes, right around the time when they release, so celebrating the anniversaries of these episodes. Uh, But this comes from the comic source, Vault of Horror, number 16. Uh, This one... Very easy premise, a nasty Alabama funeral home director uses any illegal cost-saving means necessary to garner an extra buck when he then gets an unexpected new addition to his home when his 16-year-old nephew shows up. Now, the opening of this is the Crypt Keeper doing a little more of a sports theme. Uh, He's like, hey, you know dead people like me make excellent point guards. When we can't get off a shot, we simply pass away, that is. Speaking of which, allow me to be your fear leader for tonight's halftime show. It's a tale about my personal favorite sport, being a mortician. Uh, And he fittingly calls it fitting punishment. Now, fun fact, I didn't mention the director in the last episode because... Uh, there really wasn't much Tales from the Crypt and a couple TV episodes and and a TV movie here and there. But interestingly enough, this episode, while I mentioned features an all-black cast uh, and one of the only Tales from the Crypt episodes to do that, this episode is actually directed by Jack Shoulder, who directed A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, uh, which if you go back and you listen to... uh, what Zach and myself did uh, last week for you all uh, that we dropped earlier in the week, the slasher report, we actually discussed uh, a new movie out dealing with everything in the fallout of Nightmare on Elm Street 2. So uh, I thought that was a little interesting. Jack Shoulder, the director of this, but this episode does have a great starring cast as well. It stars Moses Gunn, who you know from Shaft, Firestarter, Ragtime, Heartbreak Ridge, uh, The NeverEnding Story, uh, he's the lead. He's Uncle Ezra Thornberry. Now, John Clare plays Bobby Thornberry. Uh, his biggest acclaim to fame, it doesn't seem like he did much in his career. It seems like he was uh, that child teenage actor and then kind of went away uh, and hasn't done anything since then because his biggest role uh, was Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest, a uh, few years, five years in 1995 after he start in this episode opposite Moses Gunn. Uh, Teddy Wilson was also in this episode. He plays Clyde. He was in Good Times, uh, Blood In, Blood Out, and a lot of other TV roles that you would recognize him in. Uh, very character actor back then. But uh, this episode, I mean, Ezra Thornberry, he's a stingy funeral home director. It starts off where you kind of get this feeling that he's uh, this good this good guy, so to say, this good funeral director because you see the funeral taking place uh, as his nephew arrives very uh, out of place looks out of sorts his nephew when he arrives because there's a funeral happening in his funeral home but the family that's there is very like oh you're so great Ezra thank you for everything you've done you're a wonderful man you're a wonderful human being for this community and all that you do uh, and then when everybody leaves, you you start seeing the nastiness of Ezra right away where he yells at Clyde for 
playing uh, the organ and playing the piano in there for the family while the music... Like just just little things like that, and he starts yelling at at Bobby, and he's like, "What? Who the hell are you, kid? Get the hell out of here! You, you, no reason for you to be here." They they all moved on to the, you missed out on your chance to pay respects, and that's when Bobby's like, "No, no, no! You don't remember me? I'm I'm your nephew, Uncle Ezra. Like your 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 sister, she's dead." And you see Ezra smile when he finds out his sister's dead, uh, and he's like, "Oh well, you know she." She, all right, whatever, bad person. Uh, and then he's like, yeah, my, my father's dead too. He's like, oh, well, whatever. that's, that's what happens when you're bad people. Like just very nasty, off-putting, all that stuff. And he really wants nothing to do with his nephew at first. Uh, and then he's, and, but his nephew's like, come on, uncle, you know, like exactly what any nephew or any kid would do, which is family flock to them, expect them to open arms, accept them, accept Ezra wants nothing to do with his nephew is just despicable. And the only reason he even allows his nephew to stay is because Bobby's like, I'll do anything. I'll, I'll clean, I'll clean the room. I'll, I'll vacuum. I'll, I'll, I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll help you out around here. And he's like, okay, fine. You can help me out. I'm not paying you. And, uh, unfortunately you're now another mouth for me to feed. So he takes Bobby, shows him his room and it's just, and where he's going to stay. And, it's just an attic room where he would keep dead bodies and he's like, yeah, this is your bed. And it's literally just a board. That's it. It's a board where he would keep dead bodies. Uh, and the light is on and this is where you start seeing how cheap Ezra is as well because the light's on in the room and he's like, all right, that's cool. Thanks, Uncle Ezra. Like, you know, still just like, okay, going to make the best of this situation. But then his uncle's like, and turn this damn light off we ain't got money to pay those light bills, electric bills, you know how much electricity costs, which again, weirdly when he made that comment, there was a part of me as a, as a grown adult that has to pay electric bills. I was like, "Eh, I kind of get that. Don't, don't you dare leave a light on unless you really need to have a light on. In fact, don't turn the air conditioner on unless you need to turn the air conditioner on, you know, just open the windows. Damn it. Save that money. on. So weirdly, that was the one moment where I was like, I kind of get where Ezra is coming from on that. Uh, but either way, we move forward and you see that Bobby is starting to help out. But again, you, you a lot of the setup before we get to the big third act of this film is really seeing how cheap Ezra is as, as a funeral director, as a person, and, how, and, and continuing as a person, how low life he is as a person as well. How uncaring he is about everybody, including the families that he's allegedly being paid to help for their goodbyes for their loved ones because you find out that when he when he actually embalms his his corpses he's not using chemicals he's taking the blood out but putting water into the bodies because that will keep them at least alive for a couple days the viewing the family will never know that that smell isn't supposed to be and whatever they go into the ground and they're going to decompose anyway. So might as well just speed it up. Screw, screw the per, screw preserving them. Right. Again, horrible. That's, that's gross. That's disgusting. That's, that's, you would hope that's not the case, but that's the case. And Bobby obviously realizes things are a little wrong with that. But after Bobby learns that that's the way they do it, 
One little drip coming from the sink. That's when Ezra comes down, smacks him across the head, and is like, what the hell are you doing? You know, how much water cost? And again, another moment where I was like, I had a leak once, and I know how much that ended up costing me, not just water-wise, but electric-wise, because it ended up being hot water that was dripping. So until I got that fixed, I I, I saw a quick, I saw an uptick that much. So again, weird things where it's like, I kind of got his anger at that, but you don't slap the kid. You don't yell at him. You can nicely be like, hey, you know, just remember, turn the water off all the way. It's a little expensive. Hey, if you're not in the room, turn the... But again, that's the difference is Ezra is nasty and expresses that anger where normal people would be like, hey, just a reminder, you know, turn the water completely off. If there's a drip, let us know so we can take care of it type deal. But eventually... Ezra is really starting to crack. He's starting to, he, he's getting angry at it and angry at it. And over the water thing, he ends up going, you know what? Screw you. You're such an idiot kid. You're going to learn now. And proceeds to pick up a crowbar and beats Bobby with it so much so that he ends up hitting him in the spine and crippling him for the rest of his life. Uh, And that's when the doctor comes and is like, what happened to him? And he's like, oh, he fell, you know, careless kid, full of so much energy, just running around, fell. And the doctor is like, "Uh uh-huh, sure, that's what happened. Uh, And now you see that Ezra, who already at this point hates the idea of extra cost, I mean, he's not putting chemicals in the bodies. He's a freaking mortician and he won't even use the, do the things he's supposed to do to cut a corner. He's crippled his nephew because he had the water, uh, there was a drip coming from the faucet. He smacked him and yelled at him because he had a light on. Stuff like that. And eventually, this is all leading to a bigger... Obviously, it's Tales from the Crypt as well. It's all leading to a bigger kind of confrontation. But eventually, he's frustrated from the medical bills. And he's like, what the hell? This kid is costing me a a fortune. And that's when there was a highlight on it back earlier. And I overshadowed this. Um, They focused in a lot before he was crippled and then right after you find out that Bobby is unfortunately crippled for the rest of his life that he has a pair of Jordans and there is a focus in on that right 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 before a key moment of those Jordans because you find out Bobby comes down the stairs and is like what what the hell and you find out that his uncle took his Jordans and sold them to pay for medical expenses and his reasoning to it is you're crippled doesn't matter that you have Jordans. You can't walk anywhere. Just throw anything on your feet. Who cares? Again, just so callous and and crude. And eventually this all comes to a head when he claims Bobby ordered the wrong coffin for an upcoming funeral because he's showing the father, this is, this is what we're going to do, and here's your son in the coffin. And the father's like, that's not the coffin I ordered. I wanted a different style. And he's like, oh, okay. And then you see Ezra go into the back and he's like, Bobby, you son of a bitch, like you ordered the wrong thing. You're costing me more money, yada, yada, yada. And what the hell am I going to do with this coffin? And that's when he gets the idea of, oh, I know how I'll use this coffin. I'm going to kill my nephew. And he proceeds to kill his nephew and goes to put him in that coffin and realizes he's too big for the coffin. So what does he do? He saws off his freaking legs so he can fit Bobby's body into the coffin. 
Uh, eventually, you know, we, we, we move a little forward. We see the funeral. And that's when the doctor's like, it's a real shame what happened to that boy. You know, can't believe he's now dead. Yeah, I know. He fell down the stairs and, and died. Because the way Ezra kills him is he ends up, Bobby's coming up the stairs because he still has Bobby working downstairs doing all the mortician stuff for him. And right as Bobby gets up top on the top of the stairs, you see Ezra is holding the basketball that Bobby had showed up with. And he's like, what are you doing, Uncle Uncle Ezra? And that's when Ezra just throws the ball directly at Bobby, knocking him down the stairs, killing him. So the doctor knows something is wrong. But that really doesn't come into any play because... Uh, and the reason I didn't tell you who played the doctor is because the doctor just ha- it just pops up for those moments of being like, oh, so what happened? Oh, it's a shame. We know something's wrong. But Clyde, Teddy Wilson, comes into play again because he ends up going, coming up to Ezra and he's like, I'm, I'm leaving. I know you killed that boy. I can't prove it. There's no evidence, but I know what you did. You're a horrible person. You've always been a horrible person. And, and there's no doubt in my mind you didn't kill this kid. So he knows something's up, but again, can't prove it. And Ezra's like, fine, leave. Screw you, Clyde. I don't need you anyway. You're a piece of crap. And that's when everything goes really bad for Ezra, and rightfully so. And this episode, uh, up to this point, this episode is really good. And then this is where the episode, for me, becomes a great Tales from the Crypt episode because... Now Ezra is all alone in his mortician's home. He's killed his nephew. Clyde has quit and left. And he's sitting there. And now he's starting to hear some noises. There's a light on. And he's like, what the hell? Why is it? Damn you, Clyde. Are you screwing with me? Because he thinks Clyde is now screwing with him. And he's like, damn it, Clyde. I thought you left. Now you're turning lights on around this place. And turns the light off in the hallway. And then here's the drip, drip, drip downstairs. And goes downstairs and turns that off. And he's being drawn in all these different directions by all the things that had happened with his nephew and him. And eventually it comes to a point where you see the basketball comes bouncing down the stairs with nobody around. And you see and you see the feet of Bobby. Nobody. coming down those stairs as well towards him because he's in the basement now being screwed with. And eventually you see Bobby's body come back and he's like, hey, Uncle Ezra. And just the ghost of Bobby comes back to screw with his uncle and make sure his uncle dies. But I just love the sequence, though, of seeing the Jordan shoes because that's the thing. When you only see the feet that he had cut off, the Jordan shoes are on the feet coming down the stairs to screw with him. Before you see Bobby, no feet, but with his crutches coming back like, hey, I'm back, baby, and I'm going to kill you, Uncle Ezra. And Uncle Ezra gets the fitting punishment, haha, name of the episode, fitting punishment, that he rightfully deserves, uh, which brings us back out to the closing segment of The Crypt Keeper where he's cracking those jokes. Well, it looks like old Ezra learned that raising a teen is no walk in the graveyard. Now he's going to need one of his cheap coffins for himself. That's what he gets for having a name like Ezra 
As for poor Bobby, <laughs> oh my God, I just got that. As for poor Bobby, he got a pretty nasty case of athlete's foot, didn't he? I mean, I heard of foot loose, but yikes. Oh, well, I guess the next best thing to making a goal is becoming a ghoul. Right, kitties? As we then cut away and the episode ends. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll just double down. I really like this episode a lot. I think this episode is uh, memorable, not just for its all African-American cast, but just for its dark, humorous angle. The lines were very clever, the back and forth uh, between the uncle, uh, uh, Uncle Ezra and Bobby were just really good. The last couple of minutes, very suspenseful, very Tales from the Crypt, uh, and just kind of that selfish person that gets his 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 due justice it gets what they deserve for being so selfish uh for just simply seeing his nephew as a problem that he has to kill uh, and then getting that payback that's that to me is some of the more fun of tales from the crypt and those episodes so uh really dig this episode uh, I, I believe you can find this episode somewhere on youtube i know a lot of these episodes you can find the full episodes on youtube uh, I know Judy, you're not yourself today. You can find on YouTube the whole episode, uh, but fitting punishment, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, but I would recommend, I would recommend getting out to see uh, this episode. Uh, it's it, it's fun, it's enjoyable, and it is uh, classic tales from the crypt. So that'll do it for the crypt of horror this week, uh, episode number eleven. Judy, you're not yourself today. You can give it a pass if you're watching along and keeping up with us. Uh, you don't have to search that one out, but Fitting Punishment definitely would recommend giving that one a search uh, if you have 30 minutes to spare for a great Tales from the Crypt episode. Uh, we'll dive into episodes 13 and 14, and looking ahead on those, I'm very excited to get into those two because I actually remember these upcoming two episodes, and one of them... Uh, especially episode 13 has been one that I've very much been looking forward to revisiting again. Uh, it's a very meta episode, so can't wait to get into that one with you guys. But we'll talk to you all next time in the Crypt of Horror. And if you are listening to this today, a part of the Patreon, make sure you join us. Uh, again, this is on June 13th, the day that it has released. Make sure you hang out with us later on tonight. Uh, five-star Patreon members. If you're not a part of the five-star, just a part of the two-star uh, the $2 get a part of the $5 because tonight we will be watching Annabelle Creations uh, over Zoom, a nice little watch along. Then you can enjoy us uh, laughing, crying, screaming, drinking, maybe a pizza or two, uh, but definitely some fun for that later on this evening. But until next time, kitties, <laughs> I'll see you in the crypt of horror. <laughs>